No? Yes. That's good. Well, good morning. It's just so good to see you all. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, so 20 years ago, uh, I was still in the Army. And I, at that time, did a lot of performance counseling with uh, younger officers and NCOs and soldiers. Um, I liked my troops. I really, I loved the Army, and I really liked soldiers. I loved um, just being able to, to encourage them, see them grow, and, and really become uh, you know, guys who were mature young men, uh, taking on responsibility, doing good stuff. Um, and so counseling was often a real enjoyable thing, but, but not always because sometimes you, know, you had to, to bring a lot of correction to a young man or a young woman who was just kind of going off the rails. It was always your hope when you did that, that when you were bringing correction to them, when you were showing them where they were kind of going off the rails, that they would come back in, right? That's always what your desire was. So when I did counseling with them, one of the things I, I always wanted to do was ground them in something hopeful. So before I just launched in, you know, to you're just a mess and here's why, I really wanted to start with this idea of, look, here's the good things I see that you're doing. Here's the positive things that I'm, I'm watching in you as a young man, as a young woman, as you're progressing in your life as a soldier in the Army. Um, so as we begin today in 1 Corinthians um, verses 1 through 9, Paul's about to launch into one of his most um, harsh letters, if you will. One of his most letters that offers more correction to a church than any other letter that's out there. But he doesn't start there. Paul, unlike me who kind of grounded in the hope that I see for them, Paul grounds them in a hope that is in Christ. That he grounds them in a hope that God is faithful. And so he starts off in these first verses by, by really um, providing a foundation of why he can say that God is faithful. So in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, he tells them the good things that God has faithfully done on their behalf and how he, Paul, has seen the results of those good things manifested in them. He doesn't put their hope in their ability to do better in the future, but in what God has already done. What God has already faithfully done through Christ. That's what he seeks to ground them in here in these first nine verses. And how God will sustain them to the end, till Christ's return. Right? So even though he's about to launch into all these bad things, he sets them and grounds them in the certainty that God will be faithful in sustaining them until Christ returns. So, please let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, and I'll read that passage for us. The Apostle Paul begins, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, 
to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his holy word. And my prayer for you this week, and really even this morning as I was going through this, is that the Holy Spirit would bring to recall for you these words that you would be encouraged this week by the knowledge that you are called by God, that you are made holy in Christ, and that God will sustain you guiltless until Christ returns. So whatever the enemy is saying to you this week, you hold on to that truth. God is faithful to you. Whatever the enemy says to you this week, you hold on to the idea and the knowledge that God has called you into the fellowship of his Son what God has done, what, what he does, what he grabs a hold of, who's going to take that out of his hand, right? So you hold on to that knowledge this week. God has called you. He is the one who made you holy in Christ. It wasn't what you had to do to earn it. Don't start earning it this week. It's what God has already done through Christ. And he will sustain you guiltless until Christ returns. And that's what we're going to talk about today anyway. So, from the passage... Uh, Today, I have just really one simple message I absolutely want you to walk away with, and that is God is faithful to sanctify you, to call you, to sanctify you, and sustain you, to sustain all of you who trust in Jesus Christ. I guess I could really cut that down even more and simply say that God is faithful, but I like the longer one because it sort of has the gospel in a nutshell contained in those ideas, right? That God is faithful to call you, to, sustain, to sanctify you, and to sustain all those who trust in Jesus Christ. Now, to prove that proposition today to you, I want to make three points. First, I want to say that God is faithful to call us. Second, that God is faithful to sanctify us in Jesus Christ. And third, that God is faithful to sustain us till the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get started with that faith first point that God is faithful to call us. Sorry, I need some water. All right. In this first point, I want to briefly show you three ways in which God is faithful to call us. I want to help build your faith by seeing that God has been faithful to call you. He's called you first into the fellowship of his son. Second, he's called you to live 
as saints. And third, he's called you into ministry in Christ. Paul, in verses 1 through 9, begins with the ministry, moves to saints, and then to fellowship. But I'm going to reverse that order. I'm going to start with verse 9. In verse 9, we read that God is faithful. Let me ask you, who does this verse say called you into the fellowship of his son? Who was it? God. God is the one. It was God, the Father. And as we consider this passage, the first thing we learn is that it is God who is faithful to call us, not we ourselves. Right? We, didn't, we didn't do this in our, on our own. We didn't follow Christ and enter into this partnership with Christ on our own. God is faithful to have called you. We have not called ourselves into the fellowship of Jesus, but God. God was faithful to do that while we were still enemies. Where were you when God called you? Where were you? Most of you were not probably saved at, as children. So I was 30. I was 30 when um, I got saved. And up to that point, I was in a full-out sprint away from God. But God. But God was faithful even while I was still living in sin. While I was still following my own course, God was faithful, and he called me into the fellowship of his son, Jesus. God faithfully called me, truthfully, before the foundations of the earth. He pursued me with his relentless love. He sent his Holy Spirit to open my eyes and even give me the faith to believe, because I couldn't even do that on my own. He gave me the faith to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He gave me faith to believe that Jesus was the only one who could save me from God's wrath. So what do we all need to understand about this is that this is God's work, not ours. It is God that is faithful to do this. From beginning to end, it is God who is faithful. It is God who is faithful to call us into the fellowship of his son. The second thing from this passage that we see um, God has called us to is to be saints. Right? As those who God has called into the fellowship of his son Jesus, Paul wants to make sure that the Corinthians and us today know that God has called us to be saints. That is, ones who are set apart. That is, ones who are holy. The holy ones of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. In this, we are his servants. Notice how he lays that out, right? You are servants, I mean, you are called to be saints of who? He starts it off with, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is a title. It's master. It's the guy in charge. 
Do you see Jesus that way? It's good to see him as your brother. It's good to see him as your savior. But don't forget, he's also the Lord. And the Lord is the one who calls you to be saints, to be his holy ones. As saints, we are to be the ones who give the picture of what it would be like to be with Jesus. We are to be saints, the holy ones of Jesus, to our spouses. We're to be these saints, these holy ones, to our children, to our employers, to our clients, to our neighbors, and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that, that is how it, we're supposed to be thinking, but the question is, is it? Is that how you're thinking? Look, I fail at it all the time. So I'm not like pointing fingers here. It's why we need grace. It's why we always need grace. But that's how we should be thinking of our lives. And my encouragement to you is start thinking that way. Are you actively thinking and, and living in such a way that you realize and understand that you are a picture of who Jesus is, both to other believers and to non-believers? So I encourage you, start thinking that way. God has called us to be his holy ones. And it is God that has made you holy. And it is God who is making you holy through Jesus. Here's my point. God has called you to live as saints. And it is God who gives you everything you need to live that way. God is faithful to give you everything you need to live as a saint. God is the one who is faithful to do that. We're going to get more into that a little later um, when we get back to that sanctify word. But for now, walk away with that idea that you are called to be, by Jesus, by God, you are called to be saints in the name of the Lord Jesus. The third thing that God has faithfully called us to is ministry. In his introduction, Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus, called by the will of God. Now what I'm hoping you see, and what Paul, I believe, is making plain, is that this is not of his own doing. He didn't jump up and go, hey, I'm an apostle today. That isn't how that worked, right? In fact, Paul would have been just the opposite. Think about where Paul was when he was called. He was on the road to Damascus, out to destroy the church. That's where he was. His name was Saul at the time, and that's what he was doing. He was on the road to Damascus, getting ready to arrest Christians, persecute them, maybe even put them to death. While Paul was set on destroying the church, God had other plans. God faithfully called Paul out of his previous way and of life and in, into that fellowship of his son, Jesus God faithfully did all that was necessary for Paul to be declared righteous and holy. And then, sent him out to be a saint, but in particular then called him into a, a form of ministry, a type of ministry. Paul was called to be an apostle. And he gave him all the gifts necessary for that. He gave him the gifts of, of preaching and of teaching, of evangelism, of leadership. God made Paul an apostle, not Paul. Friends, God has faithfully called you as well. He's faithfully called you first into the fellowship of his son, Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. But it's more than that. You were called into 
the fellowship. That word, the fellowship, is actually a noun in the original language. It's not an action. It's, it's a noun. Think of the people in our church, this church. You are called to the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ, with these people whose lives are bound up with yours in Christ. You are to partner with Jesus as he builds his church. Not just as an individual, but as a fellowship you're doing that. Your fellow partners with Christ. The problem with the word fellowship is that it sounds like coffee and donuts. Like we're going to go downstairs, have some coffee, have some snacks, and do a little superficial chit-chat. And that's fellowship. But that's not at all what this word intends you to walk away with. That is not at all the word that Paul is using there. The word here is actually referring to like a legal and binding partnership. Like, it could be between two people. It could be between more. It's, it's a term that gets used in some um, Greek texts. It gets used in the term for marriage. But Paul uses it mostly as a business partnership. Luke actually talks about it in chapter 5 when he's talking about Peter and James and John as these guys who are in a partnership. They're out fishing. And if you remember those kinds of stories, they're out fishing all night long. It is blood and sweat equity. They are pouring everything they've got into making this thing work. Because if it fails, they lose everything. That's the word that's being used here. The fellowship. God has called you to the partnership of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, right? His son. He's called you into this partnership. God has been faithful to call you into that. But he didn't stop there. He called you to live as saints, as the holy ones of Jesus. So now as partners of this thing that, that's, that you're in with Christ, Christ is now sending you out as one of his fellow partners to be saints. To all the clients that are out there. Think of it like a business, right? So you're, all your clients, you're to be a, a saint to all those. You're to be a saint also, though, to one another. And he's given you all the gifts that you need to build up this partnership. He's given each of you very specific gifts, and then he's faithfully called you to use those gifts. That's what we call ministry. The ministry is the use of the gifts that God has given you to build this partnership. That's what Paul's talking about. God has been faithful to do that. He's faithfully given the gifts to you so that you can minister and build up the body of Christ. He's been faithful to call us, to give us everything we need to be a part of this partnership of his son. So let me challenge you this week to evaluate how you see your relationship how do you see your relationship in this partnership? How do you see your relationship with Jesus and with one another? Are you living like a full member of the partnership? Or are you just trying to be a part-time member? Because that's not how this partnership works. Take some of the time this week to consider what it would look like for you to be a full partner in this, in this partnership. 
What would it look like for you to be a full partner? And then what do you need to do differently? Take some time to pray about it, journal about it. If you need to, repent. And then turn to a new way of living in the partnership. God has faithfully called us into this fellowship of his son to live as saints, to be ministers to one another. And he did that by making us holy in Christ. But how could God take his enemies and make them his own sons and daughters? Let me try to answer that in our second point, that God is faithful to sanctify you in Christ Jesus. Paul makes a simple but profound statement in verse 2. He addresses his letter to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? that God has sanctified us in Christ Jesus. Well, let's start with that word sanctified. The word sanctify means to make something holy. Grammatically, Paul is using the word in the present perfect tense. For those of you who like to geek out on grammar, it's a little unusual, but what that means is something has been accomplished already, but it has ongoing effect. It's still working and, and working itself out, although it's already been done. So you have been made holy, completed action, and you are being made holy, ongoing action. Think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean that he gave his son? Well, Jesus was referring to the fact that God had sent him to the earth to live a perfect life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice for everyone who believes in him. But that begs the question, why did you need a sacrifice? The answer is this. It's because you and I have a problem God has made laws and given commands, and you and I, intentionally or unintentionally, have broken them. We have really thumbed our noses at God. And then we've turned around and just done whatever we felt like, whatever we wanted. As you know, probably, because you read the Bible, you know from Romans 6 that there is a penalty there's a penalty associated with breaking God's laws. It's kind of like when you're, you're driving through some of these small towns, like if you just moved to this area, right? And you're driving through town and you're buzzing along, you know, and there's no, stop, there's no signs that tell you the speed limit. And then you pass this thing that says thickly settled and you're like, what the heck does that mean? And the next thing there's flashing lights behind you because you're doing like 35. Well, Thickly settled meant 25. Didn't you know that? No, actually, no, I had no idea what that meant. I, I actually thought it meant maybe you have a lot of sand there. I don't know. Thickly settled? What does that mean? It didn't get me out of the ticket. I'm just telling you. Just because I had no idea what it meant. The issue is that whether you realize it or not, you have trespassed God's laws. 
And there's a penalty for that. See, but unlike the traffic cop who just wrote this thing and then turned it into a warning because he was a nice guy, God doesn't just write you a warning. When you stand before him at judgment, the penalty for that stuff is death. It's final. It's death and it's hell. Period. Eternally. The problem is that when you break God's laws, there's no thing that you can do to get out of it. And even worse, every one of us from the time of Adam on has broken God's laws. There's good news, though. God is compassionate and merciful. He's filled with steadfast love and faithfulness. He knew humanity couldn't get out of the mess that they'd made. He knew that they couldn't get past what Adam and Eve had done. So he sent his son, Jesus. He gave Jesus to be a sacrifice in our place, to die in our place, to die for our sins, to face our punishment, to pay a price in our place, to die for our sins. And in doing that, he would establish peace between God and us. Yet before Jesus could be a perfect sacrifice in our place, he actually had to live a perfect life in our place. So Jesus had to live a perfect life that followed God's laws and commands perfectly. Jesus had to live a life that was declared perfectly righteous and holy before God. And he did that. Jesus lived that life, and God did declare him righteous and holy. That's good news. This completed then, God sent Jesus to the cross. Because Jesus now could be a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And there at the cross, Jesus put the sin of every person who would ever believe in him onto his son. And he killed him. Jesus took our punishment, our death that we deserved at the cross. And in doing that, Jesus completely paid for our sins. Every command, every law we will ever break, be it in thought, word, or deed, past, present, things you haven't even thought about doing yet, were paid for at the cross. And it's not like the Old Testament language where it's just covered over. It is completely removed far as the east is from the west. Gone. 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 So what does that mean for you and I? It means that when you and I place our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we're saying that we believe, we believe Jesus really did pay the price for all our sins when he died on the cross. He really is our Savior. He saved us from God's wrath. All of our wrongdoing is forgiven even the things that we haven't thought about doing. That makes us sinless before God. You and I are now declared sinless before God. So God doesn't stop, though, at just forgiving our sin. 
at our salvation, he also places us in Christ. What that means is now that you are clothed in the perfect life of Christ. The perfect life of Christ becomes yours. You're hidden in Christ. I know that sounds a little crazy, but that's exactly what it is. You are declared to have lived a perfect life because when Jesus, or when God looks at you at judgment, he sees his son. You're clothed in Christ. You're hidden in Christ. You get all the things, all the good that comes from Jesus having lived that perfect life. You're declared holy. You're declared righteous. See, in Jesus Christ, we are declared and made holy, and through Jesus, we have been sanctified, completed action. Yet we're also being sanctified, right? So as we live out each day, we sin. We fail. We break another command. How many of you broke it today? I lost count already. Somebody said, ha ha, I heard uh, uh, Ethan said that, uh, that you got mad at the printer that wouldn't, wouldn't go. That was Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Um, really built up my encouragement as I stood up here today. Thanks. But, but hey, guess what? That sin is forgiven. Gone. As far as the east is from the west. Yet, every day I sin. That was a sin, right? I got angry at that, at that, that printer. And yet, the blood of Christ gets applied for today. So when I have to go, God, I'm sorry, I've lost it again. I've done this thing again. The blood of Christ, that ongoing effect of being sanctified, the blood of Christ is applied to that today for that sin. Already done, yet being applied today. On earth, the Holy Spirit in his kindness is convicting you and I of sin, calling us to repent. In doing so, we humble ourselves and die to the person we used to be. And we become more like Christ each day. So it's a good thing, right? That's what we call the sanctification process. The process of becoming more like Jesus. We're dying to ourselves, repenting of that sin, becoming more like Christ. That's good. Now let me give you two proofs that I think this, this is really true, that what I told you absolutely is true. First, I know that the sacrifice of Jesus was found acceptable to God because God raised him from the dead. If he wasn't declared holy and righteous, God would not have raised him from the dead. Secondly, I know that we are declared holy before God because when we are saved, Jesus, saved by Jesus, God fills us with his Holy Spirit. Think about that for just a second. Okay? You are filled with the presence. You, every one of you, every one of you who are sitting here, who have made Jesus Christ your personal Savior, were filled with the Spirit of God. Let that roll around in your head for a second. Mine, when it rolls around, makes a lot of noise. So, so why, am I, why am I getting onto this here? How many of you are familiar with the Old Testament, the presence of God? Right? What happens when an unholy person comes into the presence of God? 
They are dead. They are struck down. I don't care if they meant to do something, didn't mean to do something. Maybe they're just reaching out and trying to keep the ark from falling over. Dead. Boom. On the ground. End of story. How is it then that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God's presence, and you're not dead? All right. All right let me try something. How many of you here are believers? If you're not, that's okay. But good, thank you for raising your hands. That was really actually pretty helpful. Um, How many of you believe that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Good. Would all of you who are dead raise your hand? That's bad. We should cart her out. (laughs) She might be a zombie, get something metal. All right. No, seriously. Look around, you're not dead, but you just agreed you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's only one thing that means. You are sanctified. You are declared holy by God. There's your proof of it. Otherwise, we'd all be just corpses laying here. You are filled with the Spirit of God because God has made you holy. He has sanctified you. Let me finish up that second point by saying that God has made you holy to be holy. He has sanctified you, even as he did with the Corinthians and all those who have ever believed in Jesus Christ, so that you can be saints. It's what we were talking about earlier. God has given you everything you need to be saints. He has declared you holy in Christ. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit to show you how to live as saints, to give you the power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 6. This is the testimony of Jesus in you. That's how I know Christ is in you. Because you're filled with his spirit. And I see transformation. I see change. You're not the person you once were. I hope you see it in yourselves. Not perfect, but not the same person. So let me encourage you, church. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work in you from day to day to live as saints. That's what God has done for you. That's what he's done for you so that you can be Jesus Christ's holy ones, so that you can be his saints, so that you can go about the work of building up his church. So walk as saints. Walk as those who have been declared holy. Walk as the saints of Christ, the holy ones. Now, I know that the, (laughs) I know that sounds hard to walk as saints. And if you've been a believer for a while, you can truly feel that is absolutely impossible. I mean, like, really, it takes me about two minutes of being awake, and I'm already thinking, failed at being a saint today. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. And it is, it is impossible. It is absolutely impossible if we do it in our own strength. We need Jesus every day. I think that's why it's built that way. Because if it wasn't, we, would, we wouldn't look to Jesus. Right? Why is church planning so hard? Because it does this for me every day. Oh, God, if you don't show up today. That's why. That's why this is hard. That's why it's impossible. Because it makes us desperate. Desperate for God. God 
knows that also. And he is faithful to do everything necessary to sustain us to the day of Christ's return. So let's quickly look at that final point because you're getting tired of hearing me. Let me give you three ways that I believe Paul shows the Corinthians and us that God is faithful to sustain us in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, let me press the point that part of God's means of sustaining us is what we've actually already spoken about in the first two points. God is faithful to call us into the fellowship of his son Jesus. And as you remember from John 10, nothing can take you out of his hand. So he's faithful to hold you. We have also seen that we are sanctified in Jesus Christ. And we've seen that's a completed action with ongoing effect. It means that the Holy Spirit is now actively working in you to convict you of sin, to guide you to be more like Jesus each day, literally sustaining you guiltless until Christ's return. Yet that's by no means the end of how God is faithfully sustaining his people. God is able to sustain you also with grace and peace. Look again at Paul's greeting in, uh, to the church in verse 3. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, now mercy is when we get what we don't, what we have. Mercy is what we get when we don't get what we earned. Like, you deserve death. You don't get it. God is merciful, right? Grace, though, is when God gives us what we did not earn, what we did not deserve. It means he gave us life, an eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a grace upon grace, isn't it? It's grace upon grace. Consider that not only does he give you eternal life, he enters you into this relationship, this family business with his son. He makes you a co-heir. He makes you a partner. He adopts you. He calls you his beloved. You who were enemies and deserve death. Now, he's done everything you need to say, you are my beloved. God extends his grace to us day after day through Jesus. He says, come boldly before my throne of mercy and grace to receive mercy and grace in time of need. In Jesus, we have become beloved children. We make our requests known. We don't need to be anxious about anything because God already knows what you need. And he says, come, come and ask. Come and ask so I can bless you. God is faithful to sustain us, even pursuing us with his goodness and mercy to bless us. He sustains us as those hidden in Christ, who is our mediator, interceding before us, interceding before the throne each day on our behalf. Jesus is our peace with God. And it's what sustains us, guiltless, because he's going before that throne each day on our behalf. He stands when the enemy comes to condemn you before God's throne. Jesus stands up. The enemy comes and he says, hey, you see what he did? Have you seen what Mike did today? And what, is, what does Jesus do? He jumps to his feet and he turns to his father. And he says, that one, 
that when I died for him, see his name written on my hands. His name is written on my heart. That one is mine. Church, do you know that? Do you know that personally? Do you know that on your best day? Do you know that on your worst day? He has declared you mine. Who's going to snatch you out of his hand? No one. And to be, to be extended peace from God in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be extended peace, the shalom of God. That's God's blessing to you that you would thrive. Not just survive, not just make it through the day, but to thrive, to flourish. To flourish in your homes, to flourish in your work, your businesses, it's goal. To flourish in your community, to be life givers right where you're at. To be able to rest in the knowledge that you are both known and loved by God. That's the peace of God that's offered you. That is grace and peace extended to you, my friends. Now, I could talk to you about how God sustains us with wise speech and knowledge as we confirm the testimony of Christ in us or or how he gives us every spiritual gift for the building up and sustaining of his church. But for the sake of this last time, let let me just give you Jesus. God is faithful to sustain us, hidden in Christ, who has lived a perfect life on our behalf and paid for all of our sins so that you stand before God, declared righteous and holy, guiltless until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ's return. Friends, it is our faithful God who will stand and welcome us When at judgment, King Jesus says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Enter into the place that I have prepared for you. Amen? Church, it has been my hope today to ground you, to help root you in the life-giving truth that God is faithful. In truth, God's faithfulness does not depend on you. It never did, and it never will. God is faithful because that is who he is. The truth is that God knew you from before the foundations of the earth. He set his love upon you, and God has been faithful to call you. Call you into the partnership of his son. Call you into being saints. God has been faithful to sustain you, to sanctify you, and keep you guiltless until Christ returns. Amen?